Good morning. Let me again say welcome. I'm so glad to see you. I said at the 8 a.m., I told one guy, I'm so glad to see you. He looked at me and goes, preacher, I'm glad to see anybody. I know the feeling. I'm so glad you're here. And so glad you're here for this, I mean, this teaching on Isaiah. Could this, to me, I may be the only one, but to me, going through Isaiah with what our nation is walking through right now, has, it's like, it's so, uh, it speaks with such a modern voice. We're going to be in chapter 11 today, but if you'll allow me, we're going to start at the end of 10 to get a running start into 11. So we'll start at Isaiah chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 33. Just look at a couple verses, and then look at the first 10 verses of Isaiah. I'd like to, again, just lead us in prayer. I don't know, I, I just felt led. We, does our nation not need healing right now? Do you feel that with me? Uh, let, will you just bow with me, and let, 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 let's begin this teaching from Isaiah with some prayer. God, what a, what a joy to sing your praises and to proclaim this, these great truths. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you, God, that I get to see these people that I love, and there's lo- you can sense the love in this place, God. We, ask, we, we know we're, we're sinners. We ask for forgiveness. We humbly repent. And God, we ask you for healing in our land. We ask, oh God, broken by disease, racism, injustice, violence, anger. God, we know it's, it's you that, oh God, so heal us. Lord, we pray for, there's just there's grieving families, lost sons. We pray for the Floyd family as they grieve. We pray for wisdom. We pray for every leader in our country right now. God, for mayors and governors and every president, judge. We pray for our law enforcement officers, every local leader. God, we pray for wisdom to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Oh, God, and let your people, oh, God, as we turn to Isaiah now, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit in such a way that we're filled to overflowing. God, we need that. We need you to anoint the preaching of your word today, that you might fill us to be salt and light, to bring hope and good news to a world that desperately needs good news right now. And we pray for all the county and all across the world today, worshiping you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I wanna uh, uh, start with a little analogy that might help you as you're reading through Isaiah. I don't know if you have noticed this. If you've read through Isaiah before or read through any of the ancient prophets, this is something that has totally helped me. And kids, this is like the first thing in your notes. This is one of the first things. Uh, I'm starting to think, I'm looking at our children's minister's notes and I'm realizing we should give these to adults. These are like really good and helpful and insightful. So adults, if you need to look on with your six-year-old, feel free. But, and this analogy is not perfect, but when people read the prophets, especially Isaiah, I've had multiple people tell me, very challenging, it's like whiplash. It's a little confusing, because you'll be reading through Isaiah, and it's like, judgment! And then immediately, with no warning, it's like, hope and comfort. Or, or he'll talk about something that's going to happen in just a few years. Y'all, this is going to happen. And then in the very next breath, he'll tell you about something that's not going to happen for thousands of years. But he'll say it like one sentence, right? So this is not a perfect analogy, but this helps me when I think about Isaiah. I hope it helps you. As you're reading the prophets, this is the image that will help you. You ready? Mountain ranges. Mountain ranges. What do I mean? If we go out west and we stand before, way miles and miles before the Rocky Mountains, let's pick some beautiful, Pikes Peak, whatever you want, some beautiful mountain way out west, and we far away, hundreds of miles away, what does it look like? 
It looks like one massive mountain. And so we describe it. We go, look, there's one massive mountain. I can describe the whole thing to you. But as we drive further west, what do we see? We come across a mountain, and it's a ridge in what is, in fact, a range of mountains. Ah, we thought it was just one big mountain. In fact, it's a range of mountains. So we come first to this big ridge, and then we drive like hundreds more miles before we get to the second ridge, which is a little higher. I see, you see, it looks like it's one mountain. That makes sense, but as you get, and then you drive a hundred more miles, and you get to yet another ridge, and then you drive hundreds of more miles, and you get finally to the tallest ridge. But remember, sorry, cameraman, you do, by the way, you're doing great. But remember, from here, it looks like what? It looks like one big mountain. As Isaiah looks into the future, he sees it as one big mountain. He's like, Assyria's about to be judged. That's going to happen in just a few years. Oh, yeah, and Messiah's going to be born. That's like 700 years after that. Oh, yeah, and then there's second coming. Like, he sees that as one big mountain. He'll be like, oh, yeah, Assyria's going to be judged. And by the way, new heaven, new earth. And you're going, what? Remember, he, we can, in a way, we have an advantage because we've lived, I know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we can, we've walked through the 100 years of history, so to speak, the 100 miles of history. And now we can look back and go, that's why this is such a cool passage. When you read Isaiah, if you think about it, he is predicting things, and some of the things he predicted, we can be like, check, check, he predicted. We're like, okay, can't wait. We're still looking forward to it. Does that help? In fact, um, this is totally, uh, totally an aside, but I can't help it. It was too good, I just realized. The same thing happened in this service. Um, you, as you can see, we're socially distant. And some of you, you're more than six feet apart. You're like 10 feet apart. But you may not know this. I was watching, because this is the service online. Hi, everybody. Watch it online. This is live right now. We're, um, we're, we're showing this. And because of the way the camera looks, it's got all of the back of your heads. It looks like you're one big clump of virus sh- sharing, right? <laughs> Which is obviously not the... It, it, okay, that was free. Just had that. Same thing, right? He sees one mountain... But it looks like this series of, of, of ranges, just like your heads all look because of the, okay, I tried. At the end of chapter 10, let me show you an example of this. He's, um, he's used Assyria to catch you up on Isaiah, if you've uh, forgotten any of this. He's used Assyria to punish his people, God's people. Why? Because he wants to bring them back to repentance. But, but Assyria was just a tool in God's hand. And this is what's incredible. Assyria was sovereignly being controlled by God, and yet they're completely responsible for all their own wickedness. They did it. So there's a theological principle there. Let me ask you. Does God control everything sovereignly, or do humans have free will? According to Isaiah, yes. And how does that make sense? I have no idea. That's up to God. Assyria is being sovereignly controlled, and yet they are responsible for their evil actions. And so he says, well, I'm going to I'm going to chop down Assyria. I used, ironically, I used Assyria as an axe to chop down my people to wake them up. And now the axe, which is getting arrogant, Assyria, my mom used to say Assyria, um, she used to say about prideful people, she'd say, oh, you're getting too big for your britches. You ever hear that? Yeah, the idea is, you you know, you're being prideful. Assyria was getting too big for their britches, getting getting prideful. And so look what he says. Behold, the Lord God of hosts, verse 33, will lop the bowels with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty brought low. In other words, these Assyrians. Come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall, shall bear fruit. Whoa! 
at no point did Isaiah stop and say, oh, and by the way, there are 700 years between the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11. He just goes right into it. He's like, Assyria's gonna be chopped down, but there's coming this Messiah, and here's what he's gonna be like. Like, he sees that as one mountain, there's 700 years, and he talks about this coming Messiah. Now watch this. What is this deal with the shoot from the stump of Jesse. Well, can you picture it? Though, though, though God used the Syria to cut down his people like a forest, there's something he's doing. Underneath the surface, there's a remnant that's gonna remain, and a shoot is gonna grow out of a stump. You ever seen that? You ever had like trees taken down in your yard, and then you see this like shoot that's coming out? You're like, what a resilient little tree, you know? You cut me down, I'm still here. I'm a creep myrtle, like, you know, right? You understand what I'm talking about? It's like the shoot that's out. He's saying Assyria has been cut down, and they're cut down to stay. You'll never meet an Assyrian. You'll never be at like a business convention and be like, oh, you're a Ninevite? Oh, you remember Jonah? Oh, that's so cool. They're gone. But God's people, this promise remains. What's the promise? If you go back to 2 Samuel, God made a promise. God never breaks his promises. He made a promise. Jesse had these boys. The runt of the litter was named David. He was a poor sheep herder, sh- shepherd, I guess, <laughs> sheep farmer, and uh, uh, David, the little makes a promise, there will never be a time when a descendant of David will not sit on the throne of Israel. There'll never be a time when the descendant of David will not be a king over God's people, and they're looking around, and they've had, Uzziah was okay, and Hezekiah, they're going to have some decent kings, David was pretty good, but Ahaz, their current king, is a disaster, and they're looking around, and they've been mowed down by the Assyrians, and they're going, well, that's it. I guess Jesse's lineage has been cut down. Maybe they'll start over with a new king, maybe one day, but basically they're thinking, I guess God's promise is, is not gonna happen, right? Because obviously the lineage of David, it's, it's, been, it's been cut off. And here Isaiah says, oh, no, 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 no. No, it looks like it's been cut off, but there's a remnant. There's something growing. There's something building beyond what any human can see, and it's a shoot forth from Jesse's root. In other words, Messiah's coming, and he's gonna be of the tribe and lineage David, all the way back to Jesse, right? David's daddy, he's coming, and let's look. Here's what's so exciting, sorry. Uh, He's predicting what the Messiah's gonna be like. We know who the Messiah is, it's Jesus. So he's looking forward going, he's gonna be this, he's gonna be this, he's gonna be this, and because we know Jesus, we can read this and be like, check, check, check. He hits all the, well, you'll see. What's this Messiah gonna be like? Well, the spirit. This, he has this sevenfold spirits, the spirit of the Lord, and then these three couplets, wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might. So this, the idea of seven here, the fullness. Look, verse two, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That literally happened to Jesus. Do you remember at his bath, baptism in, in Matthew three, when he comes out of the water, the voice, and then, and then what happens? The spirit descends like a dove, and what? The spirit rests, check. In, the, uh, in Luke four, when he goes to the temple, and he pulls out the scroll, he quotes Isaiah 61, which is a quote of Isaiah 11. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach and to teach and all this stuff. He rolls the scroll back up, he puts it away and he looks at everybody and he goes, you know all these prophecies we just read in Isaiah? You know how they're all about this coming Messiah, this coming king? Well guess what? It's me! Right? I mean that's not exactly what he said, but there's kids in the room so you gotta make, right? But right, that's what he said! It's me, all these promises, I'm him. He said, ta-da. I mean, he did, what he said is, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. But that's what he's saying, it's, it's me. Okay, what's he like, this Messiah, this spirit anointed Messiah? This, he'll have the spirit of the Lord. He'll have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Y'all, 
Was Jesus wise? Was Jesus understanding? Check, check. Spirit of counsel and might. He gave, did Jesus ever call his disciples together and nervously ask, uh, boys, uh, 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 what, what do y'all think we ought to do about saving the world? Anybody got any ideas? Judas? Like, no, at no point did he ask for their, he gave counsel, and he had the power, the might to see it through. Knowledge, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Knowledge to know God intimately as Father. Fear of the Lord, to obey him perfectly, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And here it is, verse three. Why was Jesus, what, why was he able to do this? Why, why did he able to overcome the fear of man? Look at verse three. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I'm gonna ask you if you remember something, and even if you don't, it would totally encourage your preacher to be like, 100% we remember. Do you remember a sermon from a couple weeks ago? Of course you do, yeah. In Isaiah chapter six, when we talked about beholding God, I made this point. Once you're undone by the fear of the Lord, you will be done with the fear of man. In other words, if you care, oh, th thank you. You're like, yeah, I've got it written right here. Thank you, yeah, yeah, thank you. The, the idea being, if you care so much about the opinion of God, you can be free from approval addiction and always trying to get the approval of others, right? Jesus cared so much about what God thought that he could say what needed to be said. He spoke truth to power. He didn't care. Jesus, he, Jesus was never worried about being politically correct. He was just correct. He just said the truth. At no point was Jesus say something and be like, oh, if this gets out on social media, I wonder how many likes I'll get. Jesus didn't care. And that Facebook. They had face scroll, perhaps, but they didn't, right? He's not worried about likes. He's not worried about currying favor on social media. He's not worried about, he's not worried about uh, approval ratings. Why? He's not trying to sell you anything. He's not trying to sell you on a political viewpoint. He's not trying to sell you a product. Why? Jesus didn't sell anything. What Jesus had, he came to give away for free. And because he had nothing to sell, he could always just tell you the truth. Just tell it like it is. Why? The fear of God freed him from the fear of man. He could be a true judge. I mean, that's when people are crying out on the streets for justice, they may not know it, but they're crying for Messiah. Look at how he judges. Verse 3b, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, what, what, on the one hand, we all get this. Why is the statue of justice blindfolded? We all get that, because justice should be blind. The idea is there's no prejudging, right? You don't say, well, this guy's gonna get one kind of justice because he's a good old boy, so we'll let him. And, and, and this, this person, they're gonna get, a, the, the book's gonna get thrown at them because the color of their skin looks, and the way she, so, so she's gonna get this kind of justice. No, 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 not that. There's no prejudice. Justice. But this, I mean, who can give this kind of justice, this kind of righteousness? I mean, so many people weighing in, I mean, he judges by what his eyes see and what his ears hear. Let me ask you something. As an earthly judge, what else, in a court of law, what else can a judge go on? What your eyes see is eyewitness testimony. What you hear, that's witnesses. That's all you got. So, so somewhere we start to realize he's not talking about just an earthly judge, like a Hezekiah or a Uriah or somebody. Something else is going on here. Who can judge beyond what the eyes see and what the ears hear? Someone who can see your motives. Look at this, with righteousness he'll judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. Now I'm sorry, but how are you going to do this? Can I just make a, a blanket statement about justice? I've heard so many people say really good opinions about everything that's going on, everything from the virus to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to, to societal, uh, uh, social injustice, racism, all that. 
No matter what you read, no matter how thoughtful, often at the end, people will say this, but there's just so much we don't know, or I don't know this, or I don't know that. Do you know to be a perfect judge, to have perfect justice, you know all you would need? This is all you would need. Omniscience. (laughs) If you could just know everything, I mean, just think, take a simple example. Take kids, not any of you kids, because you would never get called in the principal's office. Right, kids? Good. Yeah, take, take hypothetical kids. And they get called at an elementary school. They go to, the, I guess, the assistant principal, and they're sitting there in the office, and they've been in trouble for fighting. What happens? Well, they, well no, no, he started. No, he started. No, 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 no. What, eventually, he does what everybody does. Throw up his hand and say, all right, all right, there's three sides to this story. Your side, your side, and the truth. And so how do you get at the truth? Well, you call in witnesses, and that's always a big help. Other seven-year-olds, I would, you know, okay. So you get all this stuff, and finally you go, all I can do is judge by what my eyes see or my ears hear, but what if you could see the heart? What if you could see motives? Do you realize we have a coming king, we have a judge, who at the end of all, everybody is gonna stand before God, and he knows your motives? That should be comforting and utterly disturbing. Comforting because some of you have said something in your life you regretted and you couldn't seem to make it up to that person and you wanted to tell them. It came out wrong. It was a total misunderstanding. And you finally just say to them, if you could only see my heart, you would know I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to say that. I wish you could see my heart. Well, one day, one day, there'll be a courtroom. There will be a judge and it will be revealed and your heart was pure. And you'll be like, yes, thank you, finally, your heart. So on one hand, it's very comforting. On the other hand, There are some things we have done that have looked very good to others, but in fact, we're done with a wicked motive. And though we looked nice on the outside, inside, on the outside we were saying, bless your heart. On the inside, murderous motives, right? You understand? And one day that's gonna be revealed. We're gonna stand before God who not only judges with his eyes and with his ears, but discerns the secrets of our heart. Whew. Um, So pause. Did anybody notice what just happened? It was kind of subtle. Did you see it? I've gone back and looked, and I can't tell exactly where it happened, but somewhere, just now in these last five verses, somewhere we, um, we, 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 uh, we crossed another mountain range. Did you see that? He's been talking about, okay, when Messiah comes, it's the shoot of Jesse, and he's gonna have the spirit of counsel and might, and he's gonna judge properly, and righteousness, verse five, righteousness will be the belt of his waist. Remember armor of God, Ephesians six, put on, start with the gird, hang everything on truth, righteousness, faithfulness. In other words, Paul's saying put on Messiah. I think Paul was thinking of this verse when he wrote the armor of God stuff in, in, in Ephesians six. In fact, all through Isaiah, there's all, stuff, all sorts of stuff about what to put on. And so here, right, But watch, watch, at some point, we cross the next mountain range. Because now, watch this. It's like, wait a minute, Isaiah, wait a minute, sorry. It sounded like there for a minute, well, first of all, you were talking about Assyria. Then you really switched gears, and you talked about this coming king who's going to have perfect justice. But then you started talking about, like, like all the judging he's going to do. Look look at, I skipped verse 4b. I didn't do it intentionally, but but look at, when it comes to final judgment, look at the end of Isaiah 11.4. Look at this. Y'all, he's coming. When we think of Jesus, don't we love to think of sweet baby Jesus in a manger? We love to think of like, you know like the picture of Jesus with like the lamb around his neck, like the surfer Jesus, so meek and mild and gentle. Y'all, he's coming and the truth of his judgment is so good. Um, I don't know if you ever heard, you read something or you heard something and you go, man, that truth hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that. That's what this is saying. The truth, the force of what he says is so powerful that, watch, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, 
And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Do you remember the Sermon on the Wrath of God? God's wrath is his active, resolute opposition to all evil. What he's saying is, I know we all, we love to think of Jesus meek and mild, and he is gentle and humble in heart. Yes, but there's coming a day when he comes as judge by the irrefutable truth of what he says. See, that's the problem with a judge that's that perfect. You can't refute. He sees everything perfectly. And by the force of his lips, it will burn up Every force that is opposed to God will be burned up in that day. Just by his word, he doesn't have to do anything. His sentence is his execution. I mean, look, when he speaks by his word, don't you see, that is the death, y'all, that is the death of death. When he speaks in the end, that is, his speaking will be the end of all racism. It will be the end of every virus, of every force that sets itself up against God. That right there is the end of diabetes, Amen. The end of cancer, the end of hunger and stealing and rape and eating disorders and divorce and war and hatred and depression and suicide. It's just the force of his word. Well, clearly we're talking about a kingdom that's not here yet. And so Isaiah somehow talks about something in the immediate future, something 700 years and now we're looking out at something he sees now. Like, how would you even begin to describe a kingdom that's that good? I mean, can you imagine perfect peace? Perfect shalom. How, let me ask you, how would you describe a kingdom so filled with the knowledge of God that there was absolute perfect peace? Here's how, here's how Isaiah does it. He says, picture this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Kids, usually when a wolf and a lamb are dwelling together, it's because the lamb is in the wolf in the form of delicious lamb chops, right? Here, kids, they're roommates. The wolf and the lamb went from killing each other to sharing a Netflix password. What happened? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. A leopard, his whole existence has been trained for self-preservation. It's my life for yours. The young goat has to die so I can live. Now the leopard and the young goat are just chilling. Here's my favorite. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. I'm sorry, but to a lion? It's just gonna be led around with a calf, a fatted calf, and a little kid. Dude, what lion does not like a little ribeye? And it's not just any ribeye. Look carefully at the text. It's got marbling. The fattened calf together. Delish. So a fattened calf, a calf, and a little kid to a lion. It's just a buffet. Here, it's a play date. What's his point? Some people believe that, the, I have no idea. Some commentators believe this is literal. That in the millennial kingdom that Jesus sets up, it is so perfect that literally animals go back to how some people think they were before the fall of man and they're just chilling out together other commentators think this is representative of nations nations that have always fought uh, israel and palestine or whatever pick your nations and they've always fought now they're able to exist in peace because he's king other people think it's about personal animosity right there's always been conflict between us and we've had this thing now settled forever it all sounds great to me point is it's coming how no more self-indulgence, no more self-preservation. Look, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. What? <laughs> J. Vernon McGee tells this 
I think it's a great story. When the, um, he was at a Bible conference, and finally some, I guess, heckler in the crowd. I mean, I'd love to go to a Bible conference where there were hecklers. That'd be exciting. But anyway, this guy had had enough. They were doing Isaiah 11. And he stands up and yells at the Bible teacher, I'm sorry, I've had enough. I can't take it. You lost me. A lion does not eat straw. It's against the lion's nature. A lion is a carnivore, and I'm sorry, I won't believe it. A lion simply doesn't eat straw. They said this Bible teacher, without missing a, a beat, says back to the guy, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you right now will snap your fingers and create a lion, I'll make him eat straw. His point was, obviously, if you have the power to make the lion in the first place, you got the power to make him go on a diet. <laughs> you got the power to do whatever you want, right? This is God who is so utterly reshaping what we know about society that it's so good, it almost blows the mind to think of new heaven, new earth, to think of what's coming. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Where is that kid's parents? The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Kids, listen to me carefully. We are in the already not yet. There's a coming kingdom. It's not here yet. This verse does not allow you to go play with snakes. Okay? <laughs> the imagery is what, though? The imagery, you're trying to think of what is the most innocent thing in the world, the most, I should say the most vulnerable thing in the world, and what is the most um, aggressive thing in the world. And he puts this together, a little nursing child and a cobra. And he's saying, even then, they're safe. Why? That's how much peace is in the world, that a little kid can play over the den of a snake. Incredible. Because they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. Not just inner peace, but cessation of all violence. No more hatred, no more suffering, no more reason for sadness. And let me just interject here a personal word. To everyone in the room who has ever lost a child or a grandchild, they've died and you've grieved, you're grieving, ponder what's coming, new heaven, new earth. What do we see here? A little child playing. The world, for whatever reason, right? Not, not safe here, not safe for any of us. Death, eventually, for all. But here, total Safety for that kid you love. Hmm. How is all this possible? That's, ooh, that's a lot of peace. How is all that possible? Here's how. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, there's so much knowledge of God in all of our hearts, it is my favorite simile in the whole Old Testament. There's as much knowledge of the Lord here as the waters that cover the sea. <laughs> I love that. The waters cover the sea. Any of y'all ever been to the beach and you couldn't seem to see the ocean? What with all the water? How great is that? Yeah, I didn't get to see the ocean this year. Why? There was water everywhere. Maybe next time. You say, wait, wait, it doesn't make sense. The water is the ocean. The ocean is the water. What do you mean the waters cover the sea? It's all wrapped up together. You can't tell where one starts and one begins. That's right. And there's coming a day where your knowledge and the knowledge of the Lord is like the waters cover the sea. You're so in love with God and so wrapped up in his goodness and his grace. You can have little kids playing with lions and cobras. Oh, it's coming. Well, we've got to bring this to a close, but one more, just one more verse. Last verse. Uh, how will we know when it's here and, 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 and what kind of king can do that? I'm sorry, but you can, David was pretty good and Hezekiah's coming. He's all right. We'll talk about him. But come on, like what kind of king? can bring forth this, this kind of kingdom, with this kind of peace, this kind of justice. I'm sorry, but, but what, who from the lineage of Jesse, what shoot of Jesse could possibly do all this? Verse 10. 
in that day, the root of Jesse. See what he did there? He called Messiah the shoot of Jesse. Here's Jesse, and here's a shoot that comes from his lineage. And then 10 verses later, he says, oh, by the way, it's the root, the one from whom Jesse came. He's both the shoot that comes after and the root that was before. And doesn't Jesus say that? What does Jesus get in trouble for on earth when he talks to the Pharisees? He says stuff like, before Abraham was, I am. And he even asked him, he asked him, he says, hey, uh, uh, question, fellas, you're, trying to, you're having trouble figuring me out? How come David in the Psalms says, my Lord, and then later, my son? I don't get it. Did he come before or did he come after? Jesus is like, exactly. Messiah is going to be the root from which Jesse comes and the shoot from his human lineage, David, his divine lineage, God. He is before the beginning. He remains after the end. He is alpha and omega. He is root. He is shoot. And he's a signal. Signal for who? Signal can mean flag or banner for the peoples of him. You hear that? Peoples. Nations, plural. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and yes, race. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glory. Most English translations make this an adjective, but it's just, it just is the word glory. His resting place shall be glory. That's home. God's glory is home. That's where we want to be. So how on earth do we apply this? Let's close with application. I mean, here we have this signal and the nations are coming. In fact, Paul quotes that verse by saying he's a part of, and that, that's pretty cool. We're now at the point of the mountain range where us, the apostle Paul and Isaiah are all looking at what's coming. And Paul realized because he's a signal to the nations, I'm now a missionary to the Gentiles. And I'm part of that incredible coming and worshiping him together. How do we apply this? So you're gonna leave here Watch the news, see what's happening. You're, you're watching this online. Maybe you'll see this later in the week. I don't know. What's a Christian supposed to do in the already, not yet, in the coming kingdom? Well, uh, the, one of the staff of the chaplain at uh, Wheaton College gave, said this line several years ago, and uh, it's always stuck with me, <clears throat> so I just share it with you. I think that God's people, here's how you apply this. We should right now, we should be the most comforted and at the exact same time, the most dissatisfied people on the earth. So right now, because we should be the most comforted and the most dissatisfied. Why? Why the most comforted? Because y'all, we see what's coming. Why the most dissatisfied? Because y'all, we see what's coming. So on the one hand, we can be comforted. Musicians, you can, you can come and begin leading us in time of response. Just ponder that. On the one hand, we should be, we should be comforted. Like, we don't have to take revenge because there's a perfect judge coming. We don't have to give up hope because hope is coming. We, like, we can be so comforted that whatever happens, right, but to, the, to the ones we've lost in the Lord, we're going to see him again. We should be the most comforted because we know what's coming. And at the same time, the most dissatisfied because we know perfect justice is coming. And so we long for it here. So we're going to continue to, as Christians, abhor what is evil, right, to hate racism in all its forms, to work for equality, to continue to feed the poor and care for the hurting and reach the lost, all that. Why? We're dissatisfied. It's like we got coming kingdom values. We're, we're, we're coming kingdom citizens in a current kingdom land. So we live with coming kingdom values in this current kingdom setup. But we know what's coming. That signal still stands, by the way. The shoot and the root of Jesse, Jesus of Nazareth, still stands. 
Have you pondered that? Can you picture it now? There's a cross at Calvary. There's a cross and an empty tomb and an ascended Lord. Listen, that is still a signal for the nations. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news of what he has done for us in our salvation is still the signal. And that's to everyone who's watching this online or seeing this, if you are not yet a believer, that is your signal to come. He'll still receive all, whosoever will might, may come. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, he sees your heart. So if you're self-righteous and you're a moralist, you need to lay that down right now because you, he sees your heart, okay? You can't fool him. So come to him. Your only hope is Jesus Christ, but he's a sure and certain hope, right? But to every believer, listen to me, every believer, I know the nations are raging, I know there's fear, there's anxiety. He's still a signal. In the War of 1812, did you know that's where Francis Scott Key wrote our national anthem? In the War of 1812, he was aboard a prison, a British prison ship, and he was pulled off the coast, and they were bombing Fort McHenry. And if Fort McHenry falls, who knows what could happen? Oh, it might not be a national anthem to write about. It might be a nation to write about, right? So they're bombing this fort, but he sees, this is that line, in the, he sees that the, the flag still stands. The signal's still there. And all through that long night, but then it gets dark and he can't see. But it was, in, it was incredible. When the bombs would go off, it would, it would flash and illuminate. And what would he see in the dark? The flag was still there. And that's where we get that line in the Star Spangled Banner. The, the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night. Our flag was still there. And as the nations rage, listen to me, you look to Calvary's cross, you look to the empty tomb, the signal is still there. So what's our job? Hold on through the night. Hold on through the night. The hope is coming. That, that kingdom is coming. Our king is coming. And Lord, come quickly. Let's pray. God, grant to us the grace to be coming kingdom citizens in this current kingdom world. God, grant that we might be so comforted by what's coming today and so dissatisfied. And God, as I look out and preach and see all these, these little children, and I think about the next generation that's coming, oh God, grant to them, if you tarry, if you choose not to return before they grow up into adulthood, God, grant to them this same hope, this gospel good news, that whatever challenges they're going to have to face, They'll be able to look to Calvary's cross in an empty tomb and an ascended king and know that signal still stands for the nations to come. God, grant us this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. I am so glad you were here today. I, uh, uh, Pastor BJ is going to come and give us our benediction and our instructions. We do get to do one really cool thing that, to my knowledge, BJ, has never been done in the history of a Southern Baptist church. Dancing in rhythm. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, COVID-19 and all this has created some, some crazy things, but in the midst of it, God is still moving, God's still doing his thing, and we got folks that want to join the church. And uh, so we had to discover first via Zoom, which was great and, and kind of new and different, and went through all that. If you've not yet joined and you want to become a member, you know, we you know, consider going through this discover first. You don't have to, but I think it'd be wise. It's like an orientation for a new, new member class. And so at the end, uh, uh, we asked um, this couple, uh, Walter and Diane Meyer, and yeah, and so they were at the 9 a.m., but they weren't at the 8, they're not here, they're not at the 11, and we have lots of folks online, so we thought, well, let's just put their, put their picture up. So they sent us this photo, that's, that's they, if you, if you get, to, get to see them. And uh, uh, the, the, certain of their salvation, baptized by immersion, 
And uh, so they're, they're here uh, present, uh, presenting virtually. Like I said, it's never been done, but presenting virtually for church membership in the midst of a pandemic. I, I think it's great. I think it's so great. So all that remains, if you rejoice with me in welcoming the Myers into the full fellowship and membership of Coleman First Baptist, if you share my delight in this and you rejoice with me, I want you to signal your vote by raising your hand and saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, so three services out of four, there's been an overwhelming majority, so hopefully 11 a.m. But if you see the Myers, one day we'll be able to hug them and, and shake, uh, shake their hands on the point and all that. Uh, but until that day comes, if you see him or know him, make sure you say a kind word to him. Pastor BJ. Amen. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? We're going to have our uh, benediction and our offertory. As we exit uh, from, to my right, to your left, you see these three exits here are going to be the exits we use this morning. There are offering boxes at each of those if you need those. I know many of us give online. I hope you have a great week. I hope you've enjoyed being together. It's starting to fill up, and so it's kind of exciting and a little nerve-wracking too, right? So uh, did they get too close to me? Did they get too close? So uh, today's blessing is from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. We love you. Have a great week. 